Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us. That means if you've never been to church, if you walked away from church, or have struggled to find a church home, we were started for you. For more information about Collective and how to join us on a Sunday morning, please head to www.mycollective.church. Have you ever had one of those moments where you say something, but as the words come out, you realize that you're making a mistake? It's like the scene from Christmas Story where Ralphie has the lug nuts and he drops them to go into the air and it's like slow motion. He goes, oh, fudge. It's a terrifying moment when you know you're making a mistake, but you really can't stop the words from coming out of your mouth. When I worked in the hotel in Johnson City, I worked at a double tree by Hilton. And one of the perks about Hilton Hotel is that if you stay enough, there are rewards that come with staying with that brand. The more you stay, the more points you get. The more points you get, the more amenities are available to you. And one of the specific perks with our hotel was breakfast. So if you were the highest level, if you were a diamond, you actually got to go to our restaurant and you can choose anything you wanted to eat that morning. If you were gold, you got a free hot breakfast, but it was a single rotating item. You didn't have a choice. If you were a silver, you got a free continental breakfast. And if you were a blue, you could eat the scraps off of other people's plates because you're practically worth nothing in Hilton. One afternoon, a guy walked in to check in, and as he approached, I did my normal Hilton spiel. Welcome to Doubletree by Hilton. My name is Michael. How can I help you today? He goes, I'm a Diamond member, and I need to check in. Now, it wasn't the rudest thing someone had said to me at check-in, but it definitely was unpleasant. Okay, so what's your last name? Waters. I'm a Diamond member. Got it. (laughs) And as I typed in his last name and hit enter, the screen immediately brought up his profile and turned gold. So I read back his reservation. I have you in a non-smoking king room for 10 days. Is that correct? Well, I'm a diamond member, so I want an upgrade to a free suite. And at this point, I decided to break the news to him that he wasn't actually a diamond member. And I told him, well, sir, actually, you're a gold. And he was not happy. He goes, I'm a diamond. I've always been a diamond. I demand to be a diamond. (laughs) Sir, I'm sorry, but I can't help you with that. Our system has you as a gold, and that's what I have to go off of. At this point, I actually picked up the computer screen, and I turned it around so he could see it, and his response was to stomp around like a giant toddler. To make matters worse, a huge line was starting behind him, so I started to feel the pressure to get him checked in. So I handed him his keys and his breakfast vouchers and told him how he could go find his room, but he wasn't listening. He was too busy pulling out his gold breakfast vouchers and his key pack and shaking them at me. I want the full breakfast. I am a diamond. I said, you're a gold member, and our policy is that gold members get the rotating hot breakfast. You can trade your vouchers in, you can pay $2.50, and you can upgrade to the full menu if you would like. And at this point, our voices were getting louder, and we were in a full-on confrontation. Now, for those of you that know me, I'm not a very patient person. And I had shown him all the patience that I was actually capable of showing, and he started yelling, I demand a full breakfast. This isn't how you treat diamond members. He wouldn't stop. And I couldn't stop either. Actually, you're a gold. (laughs) Which, of course, he didn't appreciate that. He actually snatched the keys out of my hand and stormed off toward the elevators. Looking up at the next guest in line, I apologized for his wait, and I did my Hilton spiel. Welcome to the Doubletree by Hilton. My name is Michael. How can I help you today? And he introduced himself and said, I'm here for two nights, and I'm actually a Diamond member. (laughs) We both chuckled. But Mr. Waters, who was at the elevator, heard it and did not find it amusing. He came storming back to the front desk. He pushed the guest aside and put a finger in my face and said, I am a diamond and I will get my full breakfast. To which I responded, you'll get what you get. (laughs) 
But in real time, it felt like I said it in slow motion. It was, you'll get what you get. And as the words came out of my mouth, I knew I was making a mistake. I knew I was saying the wrong thing. And it wasn't that I was a bad employee. In fact, I had just one employee of the month. (laughs) But I knew in this moment, as I was saying those words, I knew that I had messed up. Like, even if this guy was being a jerk, I was a manager at this hotel. And Hilton's have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, and I was practically begging the guy to complain to get 10 nights for free. But I couldn't help myself. You'll get what you get. Mr. Waters just stared at me, and I began to wonder how I would find a new job. (laughs) So today, we're closing out our Unqualified series, a series about how God uses broken people to do big things. Big things in the kingdom of God, big things in the lives of other people, big things in our own lives. And when we first started this series, I told you that my goal was to convince you of two things. The first is that we are broken. And the second is that God wants to do something big in your life. And so over the last few weeks, we've focused on one person in the Bible that God has used to change the world. We talked about Paul and how his past sins didn't stop God from using him to bring the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, that his past sin didn't stop him from bringing that to the Gentile people. We talked about Moses and how his stutter didn't stop God from moving through his limitations and freeing the Israelite people from slavery when he confronted the Pharaoh. We talked about Esther and how she was put in a situation because of other people's brokenness and other people's sin, but God still used her to save the Israelites because she was there and she was in the right place at the right time. Last week, we talked about Thomas and how he had doubts, but God didn't shun him or push him out because of those doubts. Instead, Jesus offered him proof that he did resurrect from the dead. And we learned that Thomas later went on to be there when the first church service ever happened and thousands of people heard the gospel, heard the good news, and were baptized. And eventually we know that Thomas went on to bring that good news and Christianity over to India. And those are just some of the unqualified people that God used. And we said this in the beginning, we could spend a whole year picking each person and just going from person to person to person, Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. And we could spend a whole year learning about how God uses unqualified people. But instead of doing that, we're actually going to close out our series today, and we're going to be talking about one of the most influential people of all time. And we're going to be talking about Peter. Peter was the disciple that was closest to Jesus. Some believe that they were best friends. They were so close. They were like family. And Peter was a fisherman, and the first time he met Jesus, he and his brother were struggling to catch any fish. And so Jesus from the shore told him, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And even though Peter was skeptical because he was a fisherman, they didn't know the guy on the shore, he did it. And he pulled in so many fish that his boat was overflowing. And from that moment on, he dedicated his life to following Jesus. Peter watched Jesus heal the blind and the lame. Peter watched Jesus bring Lazarus back from the dead. Peter even walked on water. But Peter wasn't perfect. In fact, Peter's brokenness wasn't just a part of his past. It showed up in a major way when he was in the middle of following Jesus because he was unqualified. So we're going to pick up Peter's story right before Jesus is arrested and crucified. So the night before Jesus was arrested, he's sitting down with his 12 disciples, and they're enjoying a Passover meal together. They're celebrating the time that God spared the Jewish people. And while they're sitting there, his disciples actually begin to argue about which one of these 12 is the greatest. And so Jesus does what Jesus does, and he interrupts, and he begins to teach, and he tells disciples what being great means. He teaches them that the one who serves is truly the greatest. And in the middle of teaching that, he actually stops and turns toward Peter. And this is what he says just to Peter. He said, I've prayed for you, Simon. Simon was Peter's first name. And I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned your back, back, strengthen your brothers. 
But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. You know, Peter's saying, my faith won't fail. I won't turn away from you. I'm all in. I would die with you. But Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times, or deny three times that you know me. And Peter's offended by this because Peter loves Jesus, their best friends, and Peter's confident that there's no way that he would ever deny Jesus. But not even 24 hours later, Jesus is betrayed by Judas and he's arrested, and Peter's denial plays out. Then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. So Jesus is arrested and Peter is there. He's there close enough to see it. He's there close enough to be a part of the interaction. And this is how the, the betrayal plays out. The story continues. And when some, when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. So that's denial number one. And Peter's afraid that if he's found out that he's a follower of Jesus, that he too will be arrested, that he too will get the crucifixion that waits Jesus on the other end. And he knows that he could possibly die. And so in this moment when the girl asks, I saw you with him, he does what he thinks is best and he protects himself. And he denies. But that still isn't three. There's two more. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you, all, you, are, you also are one of them. Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, Another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. So it's not even an hour later, the third denial happens. And you know that as Peter is denying Jesus for a third time, and that rooster crows, that he feels like it's in slow motion. You know that as he says those words out loud and he denies Jesus for a third time, he's watching those words come out, wishing that he could pull them back in, knowing full well that he messed up, knowing that he turned his back on Jesus, that he denied his best friend, that he denied his Savior, the man who gave him hope, the man who gave him purpose, the man who gave him value. The story continues. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. It wasn't really until Peter sees Jesus and he makes eye contact that he realizes the gravity of his denial. He was immediately reminded of him promising Jesus that he wouldn't leave him. He flashes back to that moment just a few hours earlier when he's sitting in front of the other disciples saying, no, I won't leave you. I won't turn my back on you. I promise I would die with you. When he realizes this, Peter is overcome by guilt and shame. So he walks away, and he weeps. Now, Peter wasn't a bad disciple, and Peter definitely wasn't perfect, but we know that Peter loved Jesus. He walked away from his past life, from his life of fishing, which is the only thing he knew in order to follow Jesus. And I'm sure there were a time or two when Peter won Disciple of the Month. In fact, later today, when we celebrate people getting baptized, one thing that we're going to do is each person will repeat this thing called the Confession of Faith, which happened in an interaction with Peter and Jesus. Jesus asked Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter responded, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter acknowledged that Jesus wasn't just some guy, that he wasn't just a prophet, that he was the Son of God, that he was sent to save us from our sin. But Peter still messed up. His fear of death was stronger than his courage to fully follow Jesus. And his mistake was enough for him to walk away. 
And if we're being honest with ourselves, this resonates with so many of us because at some point in our life, we've screwed up. We've fallen short. We've turned away from God. We've hurt our friends or our family. Instead of walking back toward God, we run away. We let shame and guilt dictate how we approach Jesus and his church because we feel like our brokenness is too broken for Jesus. We do this from time to time because when we make mistakes, we tend to withdraw. We withdraw from church. We withdraw from our friends and our family. We withdraw from the people who actually point us back toward Jesus. And we do this because we feel like we're unworthy or too messed up or too broken. And this is how Peter felt. If you look forward in Peter's story, we actually learn that Jesus is brutally executed on a cross, that he's buried in a tomb, and three days later he rises from the grave. And Peter is actually one of the first people to witness this empty tomb and believe that Jesus has resurrected. And then you move forward a little bit, and Jesus actually sees, or Peter actually sees a risen Jesus. He sees him in the flesh. But that doesn't stop Peter from allowing his shame and his embarrassment to dictate his decisions. Because even after that moment when he sees a risen Jesus, when he sees him in the flesh, Peter goes back to fishing. He doesn't feel renewed or re-energized. He saw a resurrected Jesus. And instead of immediately going to tell the world, he goes back to fishing. He goes back into his boat because Peter believes that his mistake is too big for him to continue to be loved by Jesus. And the best part about Peter's story is that Jesus pursues him. So one morning, Peter is out fishing with the other disciples, and they'd fished through the night, and they didn't catch anything. When morning came, a man stood on the shore and told the disciples to move the net to the other side. And again, even though they were skeptical, they did it. And the hall was so big, it overflowed the boat. And it was in this moment that Peter immediately knew that man on the shore was Jesus. So he jumped out of the boat, and he swam to the shore, and there Jesus stood with food on a fire waiting for Peter. And so we have this interaction where, where they eat breakfast together, and then Jesus and Peter have this wonderful interaction in John 21, and this is what happens. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him for a third time. Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And you think you are unqualified because of the sin that is in your life right now. You think you're unqualified because at some point you turned your back on Jesus. You messed up and you walked away. And you think you're unqualified because you're just not good enough. You can't be perfect enough. You continue to screw up. But Jesus simply wants to know, do you love me? He doesn't ask, are you going to do this again? He doesn't ask, are you sorry? He doesn't say, if you are sorry, then prove it. He doesn't ask, how can I trust you after this? He asked Peter, do you love me? Because Jesus knows that's the most important question for Peter to answer. And even though Peter messed up, he denied Jesus. Jesus never gives up on him. And the beautiful thing about this story is that the same is true for you. He hasn't given up on you. You turned your back on Jesus, he wants to know, do you love me? Struggling with doubt, do you love me? Struggle with addiction to porn or alcohol or drugs, do you love me? 
You struggle with anger. You cheated. You lied. You hurt other people. Do you love me? And this isn't to say that Jesus is okay with the sin in your life. I'm saying that he died on a cross to pay the price for that sin so that when you mess up, you don't have to dwell. You don't have to spiral deeper into that sin. You don't have to run away. You can continue to stand in the presence of God. And even in your brokenness, you can do big things. And so he asks, do you love me? And if you do, feed my sheep. Jesus always called the people that he cared about his sheep. He called himself the good shepherd. So he's saying that when I'm gone, if you love me, take care of my sheep. When you decided to follow me, it wasn't just to learn from me. It wasn't just to memorize what I say. It was to become like me, to be like me. And so if you love me, take care of my sheep. And I know some of you are struggling with this. I know some of you are thinking, Michael, you're saying that when Jesus sees my mess, when he sees my brokenness, when he sees how I've hurt other people or turned my back on him, when we come face to face, he's not going to let me have it. He isn't going to yell or scream that he's not going to hate me, that he's just going to ask one question. And for us, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like the God that we've heard about or the God that other people in our life have shown us. And so when we hear this, it doesn't make sense. But grace doesn't make sense. And you don't have to take my word for it. Psalm 103, 10, 10 says this. He does not treat us as our sin deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. The psalmist is saying he doesn't treat us the way that our mistakes would dictate. And this is why he meets Peter on the shore. It didn't matter that, the, that Peter's past life was like. It didn't matter that he denied Jesus. Jesus was standing on the shore calling out to him, and he's doing the same for you. And so if you're struggling with this, it makes sense. You're right. It, it, it's confusing. But this is what makes grace so good. It isn't deserved, it isn't earned, and it's freely given and it can be yours. Some of you need to wrestle with the question of what's stopping you. And I think if you're being honest, the biggest struggle that most of you have is that you just don't see Jesus this way. You don't see God as a loving God. And whether that's through previous church experience or what other people have taught you or just experiences in your life with Christians, the idea that Jesus loves you is not something that you actually believe is true. And that comes from a perspective that's off. Let's go back to Luke 22 after Peter denies Jesus for a third time. This is what it says, Luke 22, verse 61. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. In this moment, how do you imagine Jesus looked at him? Like seriously think about it. If you were to close your eyes... What is the look on Jesus' face in that moment? Most of us have created an image that Jesus looks on in disappointment or disdain. They looks at Peter as if he no longer loves him. But that's not in Scripture. To be honest, you're projecting. Too often we feel like when we mess up that Jesus looks down on us with a look of disappointment or frustration, but that's not true. Because he looks at us with compassion and love. Because Jesus recognizes that we can't do this alone and that we need him. So what if in this story, when we think about Jesus and how he's looking down on Peter, what if Jesus looks at him saying, I love you? What if Jesus' look was trying to give Peter the confidence that that was why Jesus had to die? What if Jesus' look was, don't worry, I've got you covered? Because God wants to do big things in your life. God wants to do big things in your marriage. God wants to do big things in your family. God wants to do big things in your neighborhood. And you can't let your mistakes get in the way of that. You are broken. You have messed up. You're currently messed up. You will mess up. God still wants to do something in your life and in the lives of those around you. But we struggle. 
And there's a lot of us, including myself, that when we look at our lives and our mistakes, our past choices, our past activities, or what's been done to us, and we come to a church like Collective or some other church, and we hear someone like me standing up here saying, God loves you, he doesn't hate you, that he has a plan for your life, and he wants us to make a difference in the world, our first response is outwardly, it's that Christian response. On the outside, we nod our head. We might think, amen, praise the Lord, preach it. But on the inside, there's a different message that we hear, and it goes like this. Maybe that's true for some people. Maybe for me a long time ago, but not anymore. Based on what I've done or what I can't stop doing now, it's too late for me. I've made too many mistakes. God can't use someone like me. And here's the problem with that thinking. That thinking means that you are the main character in your own life. And each one of these stories in this series and each one of the stories of every unqualified person in the Bible teaches us that they are not the main person in that story, that God is. And if God is the main character and your story really isn't about you and you aren't the star of your story but God is, what if God is telling you what to do because he wants you to see how good he is, not show you how bad you are? He's saying, watch this, I'm going to make impossible things in your life happen. Do you trust me? So when you're facing something and you're thinking, there's no way that I'm qualified to do this, that God can't use me, that I can't do that, when you get to that point, to be honest, you're ready. When you realize that you can't do it on your own, then you're going to find out how good Jesus is. Because your past doesn't disqualify your future. It can if you allow it to, but that's your choice. That's not God's choice. Because God's grace is bigger than your sin or anybody else's sin who has done something to hurt you. And you might be thinking, you don't know what I've done. Well, to be honest, you don't know how big God's grace is. And you might say, you don't know what I still can't stop doing, but you don't know how unrelenting God's grace can be. Nothing that happens in your life has the ability to disqualify you from being used by God moving forward. What happened to you, was that God's will for your life? Probably not. But God can use you, and he can even use that. Romans 8, 28 says this, and we know that in all things. Now, I did a lot of research on the word all, and do you know what it means? All. Do you know what it includes? Your stuff. You might think, but what about all, in all things? What she did to me, all things. What, he, what I did to her, all things. The biggest rep in my life, all things. This is in the category of all things. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. I'm not saying that the pain you've experienced or the brokenness that you've experienced, it, I'm not saying that it was good. I'm saying that he can use them for good if you trust him. And even though you can't see how he's going to do it or think it is impossible, he can. About seven weeks after Jesus told Peter to feed his sheep, the disciples were preaching to a crowd of a few thousand people about Jesus. Peter preached that Jesus is the Son of God. Peter preached that Jesus died on a cross for our sins. Peter preached that Jesus resurrected from the dead and he saw him. Peter preached about forgiveness and grace, not because he thought they were true, but because he knew they were true, because he had seen Jesus change his own life. And on that day, thousands of people learned that God loves them and is for them, and their response was baptism. Now, for some of you, this is where you need to begin. In just a few moments, we're actually going to celebrate as four people put their faith in Jesus and are baptized. And baptism is the death of your old self and the raising up of your new self. And so if you've never made that decision because you're hung up on your past sin or the current sins that you're struggling with or the junk that you have in your life, God sent his son to cover that. And Jesus loves you, and he wants you to know that. But the question he's asking you is, do you love me? Do you love me? 
for those of you who are struggling, if you want to talk about that, if you're ready to make that decision on your connection card, or in, we can talk in the lobby, let, let's have a conversation about that. It's just the beginning. It's a, we, we say it all the time. It's not one of those things where you check off the box and we're going to throw you in the water today. We want to have a conversation. If you are a follower of Jesus, but you find yourself in the same place that Peter was in because of the mistakes that you are currently making or the mistakes of your past, the shame that you carry, the guilt that you have, you need to answer the question, do you love me? If the answer is yes, then you need to feed his sheep. You need to take care of his people. Invest in his community. Invest in his church. Invite the people in your life to experience the grace that Jesus offers. Feed his sheep. As we close out this series, I want to read a quote by Frederick Buechner, a well-known Christian writer and theologian. And this is what he says about the gospel, the good news that Jesus came and died for us. He says this, Every age has produced fairy tales. Something inside of us believes or wants to believe that the world as we know it is not the whole story. We long for the reenchantment of reality. We hope that death is not the end, that the universe is something more than an enclosed terrarium. We want a story that holds the promise of another world. A common theme of fairy tales is that the enchanted world is not far away. You step into a wardrobe and you're in Narnia. You walk through a forest and you stumble on a cottage with seven dwarves. This other world is closer than you thought. Furthermore, fairy tales are not just stories about the transformation of the world around us. They are usually about the transformation of the central characters. Frogs become princes. Ugly ducklings become swans. Wooden marionettes become real boys. And these are all features that the gospel has in common with fairy tales, but there's one great difference. The gospel is true. And I know it seems too good to be true, that Jesus loves you, that he wants to do something big in your life and the lives of those people around you, but this isn't a fairy tale. This is real life. And Peter would vouch for that. And he did later when he was crucified upside down because he refused to deny the fact that he saw the resurrection and saw Jesus and saw what Jesus could do in his life. So the reality is we're broken, but God wants us to do big things in our own life, in the lives of the people around us, and in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that, that you didn't choose perfect people. God, that you chose people like Paul and Esther and Peter, people that had major character flaws, major issues, people that turned their back on you, people that had uh, and just incredible amounts of sin in their life, God, you still chose them to further your kingdom and to show other people what grace looks like and what the gospel looks like. God, I pray as we close out this series that, that we recognize that we are broken and we are messed up. There's sin in our life, and a lot of us are, are struggling with that right now. But God, that you still want us to be in a relationship with you. You still want us to, to do big things. So God, I pray that we're not afraid. God, I pray that we don't hold on to that shame and guilt, but instead we give it to you and allow you to lead us in, in our own lives and, and lead us forward. God, thank you that we're unqualified, that we don't have to be perfect, that we don't have to get it right all the time, that you still love us and care for us and want us to spend eternity with you. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.